Our speaker this morning, he's the more handsome Sonny Lee son. I've known Greg for, I guess it's more than three decades. He's a graduate of, he's a graduate of Freed Hardman. Right now he's been preaching at the Waynesboro Church of Christ for about 13 years. He also works in the Wayne County School System. His family is here today, two of his three girls, and his wife, Amy. Side note, Amy, he married up. <laughs> and we are really looking forward to uh, hearing Greg this morning, and we want to stay after and get to know him if you don't know him. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I hope you'll turn to the book of Isaiah. We're going to actually jump around a little bit today. Uh, and look at some different verses, but if you want to follow along and go ahead and be turning to Isaiah, we'll spend some time together today. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here today. I really appreciate Randy having me and asking me to, uh, to come and to be a part today. Um, I always try to take a few moments when I have the opportunity to speak uh, at West 7th and thank Randy uh, for his friendship and for all that he does for me, he is a super, super minister. And as I told him the other day in an email, there is no way that I can fill his shoes. Uh, but I'm thankful to be here and will sure do my part. Uh, I'm also very thankful for, uh, for Barry England as well. Barry is a, a great friend, a great role model, uh, and uh, really have relied on Barry a lot over the last few years. And uh, he is just a super, super guy and appreciate him. And finally, just let me say thank you. I always try to do that when I speak here. Thank you for what you mean to my dad and to Sandy. And as I said last time I was here, I'm sure you would much rather have Sandy here more than dad, but still, thank you so very much for all that you do. Uh, you know, on behalf of my brother Scotty and my sister Sherry, it just means a lot to us for uh, dad to uh, have a church family that he absolutely loves and adores and thank you for taking care of him and uh, thank you for for all that you do i, I just want to ask you today to just maybe clear your heart for just a minute and uh, listen to this one question okay what if today you finally decided after all of these years to accept the grace of god and believe in your heart and know that you have been forgiven and move forward with a new beginning? What if today you finally decided to just kind of release your past and move ahead knowing that God has truly forgiven you? Uh, I have spoke on the topic of grace and forgiveness many times, but I think one of the hardest questions is one of the questions that you see on the screen behind me, and that is, how do I forgive myself and move forward in God's kingdom? You know, every one of us in this room today, we have a past, right? Whether that is good, whether that is bad, we have a past. And I want to make sure that you know this today. God does not want our past to hold us back. God has a great future for us, and He does not want that to limit our future. Sometimes I think the hardest person to forgive in life is ourselves, simply because we're the ones who live in our own hearts, right? And we can't really move past our own self-talk, if you will. 
Well, in a room this size, I think it's pretty, pretty plain. We all have stories. We all have things that probably we would like to forget. And you know, sometimes it's a lot easier to let other people off the hook than it is to let our own self off the hook. But what if today, what if today you finally decided, I'm going to accept God's forgiveness? Do you dare do that? You know, if life were only constructed to where we could just hit that delete button, right? And we could just kind of make sure that certain events go away and never appear again. But unfortunately, that's just not the way the world works that we live in. But I want to tell you a big lie that I think a lot of church people especially still believe to this day. And it's this. Given the mistakes of my past, I could never be forgiven and be adopted into God's family. Given the mistakes of my past, this could just never happen to me. And the person that we're talking about, what they do is they walk around every day of their life and they are just living under this ever-present cloud of guilt. And sometimes, as a minister... I see some really nice people, some very nice church people, and you know what? They're just stuck. They're they're just not praying bold prayers. They're not really stepping out in faith. They're not really getting involved in ministry. Just no enthusiasm. And they're just kind of attending services. They're kind of slithering out the back door. And sometimes I just want to walk up to them and they'll say, why are you so stuck? I mean, why aren't you soaring spiritually? Why are you not serving the way that you should? And I know the answer. The answer is something like this, because what I thought happened in Vegas would stay in Vegas. But it didn't, and so I carry it around in my heart all day long. Whatever happened in Nashville or Atlanta or Dallas, it didn't stay there. Or whatever I did when I was 16 years old, I'll never be able to forgive myself. And so this person just walks around under this ever-present cloud of guilt. And they think, I could never do what those wonderful people do because of what happened to me that night. I can't be a player in God's kingdom. I'm in the penalty box. Let me ask you this morning, what's that one sin that you feel so desperately bad about that you can't even bring yourself to acknowledge it, that you actually did it? What's that one episode that you just can't bring out of the darkness and into the light and just finally let God forgive you? What's that one moment that just kind of keeps you under that cloud of guilt day in and day out? It's become my experience that most everybody walks around with that one thing that just kind of hovers over their head like this ever-present cloud. I want to try to dispel that today, and I know what a lot of you are sitting there thinking, dude, I don't even know you. And I've been carrying this around for 25 years. You're not going to get rid of it in 30 minutes. And that might be right. But my prayer today is that you will just listen to the truth of God. And what I want to do today is I want to just kind of go through Scripture and give you some word pictures. 
that God gives us. And this is not some huge, powerful teaching lesson today where we dissect the cross and redemption and, and substitution. No, I just want to give you some word pictures that the Lord gives us. And here's the first one, and if you don't have it, it should be on the screen behind, my, behind me. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. I don't know about you, but I love the fall and the winter. Especially as hot as it's been, right? You're looking forward to a little bit cooler temperature. Well, I'm a school teacher, and so is my wife. And you know what? There's just something about snow days, right? There's just something about snow days when you get out of school. But I have always loved snow. I love to be able to go outside with my girls and play, build a snowman, whatever it may be. But you know what the best kinds of snow are? The best kinds of snow is when you go to bed and there's nothing. And then you wake up in the morning and everything is covered. That's the word I want you to get right here. Number one, covered. Friends, there's a principle in the Bible that says if you try to cover things up, God's going to bring it out in the open. But if you will acknowledge it and you will bring it to God, He will cover it. The Scriptures say that what Jesus did on the cross sufficiently covers every wrong deed you have ever done. From God's perspective, all He sees is ten feet of freshly fallen snow. There's no junk that is underneath poking through the top, it's simply covered. Here's another word picture. It comes from Jeremiah 31 and verse 34. And the Bible says this, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Don't you love that phrase? That's the second phrase I want you to remember. Remember no more. Now, it's very important that you realize who is saying this, okay? Because if I were to tell you, I will remember your sins no more, you're going to think I'm a lot like you and a lot of other people in our world today. When we tell people we forgive them, do we mean it? You know what we do a lot of times? We stick it right here in the holster. And then we think, the next time you do something, guess what? I'm going to pull it right back out. Or you might say, well, Greg, sure, you might forgive because you're just a forgetful person. You have to remember this is our great God who, after Jesus paid for the sin that you so fully believe that you cannot be forgiven, after Jesus went to the cross, spilled blood to cover that sin, God somehow, I can't explain it, unhooks His memory apparatus. This is the same God who knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. This is the God who knows it all. And he has said, through what my son did, I will choose to forget about the sins of those who have confessed in the name of Christ, my son. And God is saying, you listening? If I've let it go, then you need to let it go. How about Psalm 103 and verse 12? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed 
our transgressions from us. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but in the Bible, north and south are not viewed as uh, eternal directions. But east and west are viewed as eternal directions. And I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture, he does not say from the east coast to the west coast. He says, as far as the east is from the west. In other words, it just keeps going. It's a beautiful section which talks about God sending something away. And that's the next point. The word forgiveness, friends, it literally means to send away. It, it means to dismiss. And God has sent our guilt so far away that it's like from the extreme east all the way to the extreme west, infinite directions. And then we get to Micah 7, verse 19. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Now, here's where I need to ask for your forgiveness today, okay? This is a terrible illustration I'm about to use, but it makes a point, so I hope that you'll bear with me and forgive me. Some of you may remember the Air France jetliner crash that happened several years ago back on June 1st. It was flight 447, and it went down in the Atlantic on a flight from, from Rio to Paris. And I remember that so much because I read an article about it, and this really jumped out at me. Most people said, well, they're going to find the wreckage, they're going to find the black boxes, and it's going to really help them determine the cause of the crash. But the experts in this article I was reading said, don't count on it. And they went on to say, even though those black boxes send out signals for 30 days, and even though we will be using the most uh, sophisticated underwater equipment available, the general location of that accident is in water that is so deep that in spite of state-of-the-art equipment, it may never be found. One expert said this, and I quote, we're in a race against time because some parts of the ocean in this particular zone have depths that reach up to 7,000 meters, which is 23,000 feet. And he went on to say, there are parts of the ocean, the bottom of which have never ever even been determined. They don't even have the equipment yet that can tell us how deep seabeds are. Now, friends, as bad as an illustration as that is, that is exactly where God has stuck all of your past. Your past is in the depths of the sea. And if God has stuck it in the depths of the sea, it is not our duty, friends, to just go down there and start dredging it up. It's gone it's covered, it's forgotten, it's taken away by a measure of infinity, and it is down in the depths of the sea. Now, friends, don't get me wrong this morning. I'm not saying what happened in Vegas or wherever is no big deal. What I am saying is that where there is a repented heart and the grace of Jesus Christ, friends, you can move forward with a new beginning. And God gives you permission to move forward with a new beginning. 
He invites you to pray bold prayers. He invites you to get involved. He invites you to join the adventure because what Christ did is enough. And what ought to be over our head every day as we walk through life is just this canopy of grace. When we get up in the morning, instead of this dark, heavy guilt cloud, we ought to be saying, I'm living under a canopy of grace today, grace that covers up all of my sins of my past and all of the foul-ups of today. I'm going to go out, I'm going to take God's hand, and I'm going to live boldly. It's time for some of us to cut the tie with that lie that says you will forever be chained to your past. I want to remind you of what 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says. If we confess our sins, God is faithful, He is just, and He will forgive our sins and cleanse us, look on the screen, from all unrighteousness. Not just the minor sins, not just the minor unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. Friends, the greater the mercy is to you, guess what? The greater the message, right? The greater the ministry, the greater the story that you have to be able to go out and share with other people. Now, before we close, I want to I share with you another picture. And it's not necessarily a word picture, it's just a story from the first gospel sermon of Acts chapter 2, if you want to flip over there. And I want to pick up this verse in around verse 36. And we all know what's happening here, right? Peter's preaching that first gospel sermon about Jesus. Now, I want you to think about all of the sermons that you've ever heard about Jesus. This is the first one. For 2,000 years, people have been talking about Jesus. This is the first one. And Peter is standing up to a crowd far bigger than the one here today. And he says this, beginning in verse 36. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the Apostle Peter stands up, he gives the first ever gospel sermon, the very first talk about this man Jesus. Peter stands up and explains to this crowd on the day of Pentecost, there has never been a man like Jesus Christ. Nobody ever knew God like Jesus Nobody ever understood life like Jesus. Nobody ever taught like Jesus. Nobody ever healed or manifested power. No one ever loved or died like Jesus. Guess what? Nobody even has ever been resurrected or triumphed over death like Jesus. But here's the climax of Peter's sermon. You get it? Here's the climax. This Jesus whom you crucified. Peter stands up before them and says, the truth is, your actions, your lives, your choices are what killed him. You are what led to the crucifixion of the best man who ever lived. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident that some people got mad and got up and walked out. But others didn't. How did they react? Well, listen again. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. In other words, they were convicted. You know what conviction is? Conviction 
is the Spirit saying there is something seriously wrong in your life. There is something serious wrong in your life. But God loves you, and He wants to do something about it. There's hope. You see, condemnation is the devil saying, it's hopeless, you might as well give up, just forget it. But Acts 2 says, a bunch of people came under conviction. Scripture says, they said to Peter and the other apostles, what should we do? And Peter has a message of hope, right? Repent. Be baptized. Know that your sins are forgiven. And that the Holy Spirit lives in you. Friends, we serve a God who loves to forgive. And I'm going to say that again, just in case you were sleeping. We serve a God who loves to forgive. And friends, He opens His arms wide at the first step of a turnaround, and He says, just come home. And people are cut to the heart. Scripture tells us, what do we do? Peter says, you repent. You see, when I repent, I acknowledge my sin. I ask God to forgive me through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and then I make Jesus the one I trust. I commit myself to Him. He promises to send the Spirit to be with me. And from this day on, my strategy for life is I'm going to trust in Jesus not myself. I'm going to surrender to Him, not me. I'm going to submit to God on bended knee. I'm going to do what He says, and I'm going to put my life and my future in His hands. But then there's a next step, Peter says, for us to be baptized in Christ's name. And friends, isn't baptism such a beautiful gift? Friends, I mean, baptism is so beautiful. You know why? Because we can actually look back Mine's coming up. August 12th, I was 12 years old. I asked my dad to baptize me. And it's so neat to be able to look back at your baptism and go, you know what? I can look back and say, I did believe. I did respond. I did have faith. And it's a picture of cleansing. And it kind of becomes this visible mile marker, I think you could say, for, for Christ who forgives sins. And people are repenting and they're being baptized and saying, Lord, cleanse me. I want to be forgiven. I don't want to sit on that fence anymore. I'm declaring myself a follower of Jesus Christ. By the way, don't you love that the first gospel sermon is preached by a guy who two months earlier said, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him, and he curses But after repenting and being baptized or responding to the invitation and receiving forgiveness, a lot of folks just cannot forgive themselves. You know why? Because they misinterpret consequences. Some people don't forgive themselves because they think the ongoing presence of consequences means that God is still angry at them and they're not off the hook. Friends, please know that that is just not true. Some people think that forgiveness means no more consequences, but you've lived in this life just as long as I have and you know that's not true. 
In our hearts, there is a desire for when we walk forward and receive forgiveness that all consequences of that sin is going to be erased. We would love for the Christian life to work in a way that forgiveness just makes everything right, but it doesn't work that way. For forgiveness, friends, does not always equal the removal of consequences. You can be extremely forgiven and still face extreme consequences, right? All at the same time. That is an important reality to understand. You reap what you sow, you harvest what you plant, that's just the way life works. You remember the story of David? The real story of David? You see, I think we all kind of learned the superficial Bible school story of King David. Here is this guy, the Bible school story of King David. King David fought Goliath and won. He committed adultery and murder, but God forgave him, called him a man after his own heart, and he lived happily ever after. Isn't that wonderful? Friends, that's not the true story of King David. King David developed a very hard, self-centered heart. He committed adultery, orchestrated a man's murder, and he experienced some severe consequences. He also experienced extreme mercy and grace at the hands of God, and his life just kind of became a testimony to God's wonderful grace. But some of those consequences were still there. Friends, it is possible to experience both extreme forgiveness and extreme consequences. I always think about the thief on the cross. He experienced both extreme grace and mercy, right? Was he forgiven? Well, Scripture says, this day you're going to be with me in paradise. But forgiveness did not mean that he was released from the punishment of his thievery. He still faced consequences. Friends, sometimes scars and bruises linger from decisions that we've made in our past, but they've still been forgiven in Jesus Christ. But those bruises linger, don't they? And they become tough from time to time. Friends, you can experience extreme grace and extreme consequences all at the same time. But here's a principle from Scripture. Galatians chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. And friends, if you will just grasp this principle, I promise you, your life is going to get so much better. In verse 7, it says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You'll always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Galatians 6, there is this principle of planting and harvesting, sowing and reaping. And friends, just let me remind you, that can work either for you or that can work against you. It can go in one of two directions. You can sow the sinful nature or you can sow to the Spirit. Now, on the positive side, let me remind you, God established this principle to bless us, not to hurt us. And if we will tap into that principle, it will help us. And if we abuse it, it's going to hurt us. We don't plant seed tonight and go out tomorrow morning looking for a crop. There's this interval of time before we look for a harvest. 
But what does it mean to sow the Spirit? Well, instead of living your life according to what you want and what you wish and what you desire, you live your life according to what God wants. And if what God desires for you is not even how you feel this particular day, you're still going to press on and do the best you can. And in time, we will reap the benefits of those decisions. I hope that you will pursue the Lord. I hope you will obey the Lord. You know why? Because He's smarter. He knows better and He cares. And the principle is your miracle for a better life. This principle is your miracle for a better life. And so the question I want to close with today is this. Will you please be obedient to God? Trust Him. Let Him bless you. And the decision is ours. In order to see victory, friends, you and I are ultimately responsible to make the right choices. Nobody can do it for you. I hope and pray you'll be obedient to God. And friends, let me just tell you this. I don't care how deep a pit you're in. And I don't care what it is that you've done. God's arm is never too short to reach down and pull you out. Every day, God gives you the opportunity for a fresh start to make a clean slate. And you can do that this morning by simply responding to the invitation of Jesus Christ. You can take that step of faith. You can know that God will come running to meet you. And friends, we must get our minds off the past because it's called the past for a reason, right? It's in the past. Open your eyes up to what God wants you to do and you will see no more dead ends you will only see new beginnings. Speaking of new beginnings, I'm a lot like you guys. In the top days of my life were the birth of my three girls. Outside of marrying my beautiful wife, the birth of my three girls were without a date my top days in my life. Sadie's with me here today. Sadie was born first. She was a Friday the 13th baby, baby if that tells you anything. But anyway, two days later, I celebrated my very first Father's Day. Annie was our middle child. She's not here today. But Annie was born the day after Thanksgiving in 2004 and just reminded Amy and I again how blessed and thankful we truly are. Maggie's my youngest. She's here today. She was born on July 3rd. I can remember asking Amy, man, you sure you don't want to wait one more day? I mean, this would be great, you know, to have a July 4th baby. And she said, no, get this child out of me now. And mothers, I guess, can understand that. Something really neat happened when Maggie was born. She was born C-section. I was in there. I was sitting there with Amy, and the doctor said, well, here, here, here it comes. We didn't know if it was a boy or girl. And he looked at me and said, Dad, it's another girl. And I said, great, i got to pay for three weddings now. <laughs> and um, Maggie was screaming. I, I, I'm not lying to you when I say... She was absolutely screaming, and not a cry, scream. Matter of fact, the doctor said, this baby is not happy. And so he hands her to the nurses. The nurses go over there and do that thing, and I'm over there looking like, is something wrong with her? Even the doctor kind of looked one time and said, hey, is everything okay over there? And I remember one of the nurses said, she is absolutely healthy. There is nothing wrong with her, doctor. She's got a set of lungs, and she's not happy. This child is screaming. I thought people in the waiting room were hearing her. 
And I remember they finally, you know, they wrap her up like a burrito and they, they bring her over there to me and they said, Dad, we're going to see if you can do something. And so I grab her and I'm holding her and she is screaming. And I remember looking at her going, sweetheart, you are beautiful, but man, you'd be prettier if you'd stop screaming. She's just screaming. And I finally had had enough. Even the doctor said, Dad, you can't do anything with her either, can you? So I finally walk over to where Amy's laying down, and I just kind of prop her up on my arms so Amy can see her. And Amy simply said two words. She said, hey, precious. And Maggie stopped. Now, I tell this story a lot of times, and people think, oh, she went down to a whimper. She just started crying. No. She is full-fledged scream, hears those two words, and stops. I even looked back and remembered one of the nurses. She looked over and she said, did you, did you see that? And it wasn't but about 10 or 15 seconds later, and then Amy said it again. Hey, precious. And Maggie opened her eyes. And she started looking around like, I know that voice. That's my mom. I still get chills to this day when I tell that story because later on that night, we're all sitting on the bed and I'm holding her and we're talking about the day. And I told Amy, I said, that is just the coolest thing I have ever experienced in my life. And I immediately thought of John chapter 10 and verse 27 where Jesus in His own words said, My sheep... They listen to my voice. They know me. And they follow. Friends, my prayer today is that you will open your eyes and finally hear the voice of Jesus saying to you, I forgive you. Just come to me. Because everybody in this room, I think, knows every time we listen for God's voice and every time you and I act accordingly and we follow God's Word and take the appropriate action, we are always blessed. And today can be a blessing for you. Right now, let's stand. Let's sing.